This is a Federal News Network podcast. Priority recommendations. These are actions the Government Accountability Office advises agencies to maintain program and financial integrity and sustainability. In the last couple of weeks, GAO has reissued reminders on open recommendations. It's a long list. For some highlights, we turn to the GAO's Chief Operating Officer, Kate Sigurud. Ms. Sigurud, good to have you on. Thanks for having me. Now, we noticed this list coming out one by one of the lists of open recommendations that date back, in some cases, several years to agencies. You're just rattling their cages to say, hey, we haven't forgotten. Is that something you do periodically? Tom, we've been sending these priority recommendations every year starting in 2015. So this is our sixth year of sending these letters to the heads of agencies to remind them of those recommendations we view as the highest priority. For the last two years, in 2019 and now in 2020, we have made these public and posted them on our website. Prior to that, we sent them to the agencies and then sent them to the congressional committees that had oversight over the agencies. Our overall goal here is to try to bring to senior leadership of major federal agencies those recommendations that we think can save the most money, address issues on our high-risk list, or significantly improve government operations. They represent about 500 out of about 5,000 open recommendations, so about 10%. So we've really slimmed down the number of recommendations that we think that senior leadership should specifically pay attention to. Got it. And uh, I'd like to run through some of the agencies as reminders here. And why don't we start with the Homeland Security Department? Interesting, Alien Children is still on that list. That's kind of fallen off the headlines lately because of all the other headlines, but still an issue, isn't it? Yes, we have a couple of areas that we wanted to bring to DHS's attention this time around. One of them was an agreement between the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Health and Human Services with regard to how these unaccompanied children are handled in the shelters run by the Health and Human Services Department. There were several documents developed between the two departments in 2018. However, we reported earlier this year that they have not fully implemented the agreements between the departments. So we think that there are some significant information sharing gaps that remain between and threaten the overall accuracy of how these children are referred and handled within the placement process. And across DHS is the Coast Guard and the infrastructure backlog. Sounds arcane, but it sounds like something that really gets to the ability of the Coast Guard to keep operating efficiently. Well, the Coast Guard has a very, very significant infrastructure that's developed over decades of work. Our view is that there are actions that the Coast Guard could take, analysis it could undertake, That would allow it to better target what maintenance it has to do, as well as you cite on the overall number of Coast Guard stations and other offices and facilities they have that are still needed to work efficiently. And kind of across DHS issue is the cyber risk management strategy. Since the time I think this recommendation first came out, there's been some reorganization of DHS that resulted in a more than just a renamed agency, a reorganized piece, the uh, CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the cyber risk one. Sure. So we continue to oversee CISA and uh, have a forthcoming report, which I can't give a lot of details on today, but we think that the overall organization was necessary and important. I should mention that we have cybersecurity risk on our overall high risk list, which, as you know, Tom, we issue at the beginning of every new Congress. 
One of the things that I should mention is that in every one of the 28 of these recommendation letters that we are sending to federal agencies, we have highlighted IT issues as a pervasive challenge across the government, both with regard to agencies handling the cybersecurity of their own systems, as well as efficiency in acquiring IT systems. So we think it's something that every agency needs to take care of, and of course, DHS, with its new agency, has a lead role uh, in that overall function across the government. We're speaking with Kate Sigurud. She's Chief Operating Officer of the Government Accountability Office. And let's move to the State Department. One of the top recommendations there had to do with the future costs of their overseas construction, which is, I guess, about half or two-thirds through a long-term reconstruction effort. Yes. Well, the embassy construction effort is an issue we've followed for a long time, so we have a long list of past recommendations in this area. You know, following the attacks on the embassies in Africa, the State Department took on an overall improvement of its security posture across uh, the entire world, and that, of course, meant reinforcing or, in some cases, relocating and building new embassy and other State Department facilities in these countries. So this is a very costly effort. It's, of course, done in foreign countries under difficult circumstances, and we've made a number of recommendations to the State Department in that regard. And was I right through about two-thirds of the way through all of that construction effort? Because that was, a, I think, a 20-, 25-year effort. Yes, I believe it's about halfway through that effort. And, of course, the priorities have been in certain areas of highest risk, but overall, in nearly every installation that the State Department has, some improvements need to be done. All right, let's move to the Office of Management and Budget. Like Homeland Security, it has some functions, or in this case, most of the functions, really have to do with the entire government. And one of your, I guess they've got somewhere like three dozen open recommendations, a few of which are priorities, and you they've fulfilled some and you've added some, so we have a net result of 35. Uh, what are the top ones there? Well, I think I'll um, identify three different areas where we think OMB should be paying particular attention. The first is in the area of improper payments. These are payments that were made to the wrong entity or person or in the wrong amounts. They totaled $175 billion in 2019 alone. OMB has a lead role with regard to setting policy, with regard to how other agencies should approach this problem and try to prevent it or to take back those funds that have been paid improperly. So uh, OMB did act on two of our priority recommendations from previous years, in particular by developing guidance together with the inspectors general across the government. This is very important guidance that explained to agencies how they should determine what their improper payment levels are and then how to prioritize acting on that problem. But we believe that OMB's attention to several additional recommendations we made can help to make sure that that guidance and those corrective actions are effectively implemented. I might also mention spending transparency. The Data Act of 2014 requires agencies to provide additional data on about $4 trillion in annual spending. I mention this one today in particular because last month OMB announced that agencies and recipients of any of the CARES Act spending, uh, in other words, the spending that the federal government is doing to respond to the pandemic, that this Data Act framework will be the framework through which monthly reporting requirements associated with that act are undertaken. So we have recommendations with regard to the Data Act and spending transparency to improve the overall quality of the data 
and the public's understanding of how federal funds are to be spent. And you also mentioned disaster relief spending controls, and I guess in some sense that's what the stimulus bill, the CARES Act, is all about. So you add that up with improper payments, there's kind of a theme here. Yeah, so improper payments and disaster controls are highly related to each other. The challenge with spending during disasters such as we're facing now or in natural disasters such as hurricanes is the need to get money to affected communities quickly, which means that the ability to do some of the usual checks around eligibility and internal controls are more difficult. So we think that focusing on internal controls related to disaster spending is very important for OMB and for every federal agency that's involved in providing these important funds quickly to affected communities. All right, let's move on to the IRS, because that's really part of Treasury Department, but in effect, it's a department unto itself in the way it's treated by Congress and the way people think about it. And there's some new recommendations with respect to one that really caught my eye was transporting receipts by staff from wherever, a processing center to a bank. This still happens in the 21st century? Well, uh, some of the IRS's work is still done on paper. There are a fair number of taxpayers, uh, both individuals and businesses, that continue to use the mail and paper in order to file their tax returns. And, of course, there is a fair amount of correspondence that goes back and forth between IRS and taxpayers to resolve any errors or questions that the IRS has. So as much as the IRS would very much like for all of its tax business to be done online, yes, there is a fair amount of paper activity that still occurs. And it sounds like the issue there is if there's not enough staff to transport materials to the bank, then supervisors who are overseeing that material could end up doing so, and that creates the possible conflict of interest? Yes, and, and probably also isn't very efficient, if you, if you think about it. So it is a conflict of interest. Related to that, I will say that we have for years recommended to the IRS that they take a number of efforts to improve their, what we call, strategic human capital management. In other words, thinking about what the size of the workforce is that is needed, what kind of workforce we need, and making sure that it's a flexible workforce, thinking about how the IRS will be operating now and in the future. So we've got a number of recommendations about identifying skill gaps and developing hiring plans in that regard, which would probably also help with the topic that you just mentioned. And, of course, you mentioned earlier that information technology is an issue for every agency, but maybe IRS is one that stands out there, isn't it? Absolutely. We've mentioned the very significant interest in getting as much tax business done online as possible, but of course that means you need to have an online presence that can handle the volume of material that comes into the IRS and then compute all of the information that needs to be computed to determine whether the taxes have been paid and paid correctly. IRS has had a long-standing effort to improve its overall IT posture, but needs to do better in that regard. And let's move to the Defense Department, where there are something like north of a 1,000 recommendations outstanding. There are. 64 of them, I believe, are priority, which is enough for probably the whole government. And you've broken them down into categories. Just run through us what you see as really the most critical ones for DOD. Well, thank you, Tom. I'll mention a couple this morning, and I'll start with acquiring weapon systems and managing those contracts. So, DOD has a portfolio of what are considered to be major defense acquisitions, 82 different major defense programs, and that they have an estimated cost of $1.7 trillion. 
Most of these programs we've found over many years, and this is why we have so many recommendations in this area, most of them proceed without key knowledge that's essential to good acquisition outcomes. For example, doing adequate testing before proceeding with development and actual buy of, of the weapons system. Not doing so increases the risk of cost growth and schedule delays, as well as, most importantly, performance that doesn't comport with the original expectations for the system. So the other thing we're concerned about in this area is that DOD has a number of efforts underway to develop weapon systems more rapidly to meet the warfighter needs. This means streamlining the acquisition processes, and while that sounds attractive, it's important that good contracting oversight continues even under that posture. And so we're continuing to monitor these streamlining efforts. Another very important area for DOD is rebuilding its readiness, and it is listed as DOD's highest priority, and we certainly agree with that. So DOD is transitioning from a decade of counterterrorism operations to focusing more on other types of military threats from other nations. It needs to rebuild its capabilities, and it needs to field sufficient and ready forces to be able to uh, have a decisive advantage in any likely conflict. We're focusing particularly on the Navy in our letter this year. We have six recommendations related to the acute readiness challenges in the Navy. That was, of course, highlighted by fatal collisions that happened in 2017, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of maintaining ships, training the staff, and developing shipyard optimization, among other issues. We're speaking with Kate Sigarou, the Chief Operating Officer of the Government Accountability Office. And the business processes and financial management of DOD, those are perennials also, in a sense, underpin everything else they do. Yes, this is very important, and we also had a number of recommendations in this area in the letter to the Department of Defense. So the department has six what we call business-related areas on our high-risk list. That's the most of any uh, federal agencies. This includes things like contracting, financial management, defense infrastructure, and its IT business systems. So DOD's effectiveness in meeting those missions that I just talked about is directly related to its ability to have strong business and support operations. We've reported for years that weaknesses have led to waste and ineffective performance, and we have a number of recommendations related to strengthening the business reform efforts to include that DOD appropriately fund these initiatives and assess their effectiveness as it implements any reforms to them. By the way, these recommendations for all of these agencies, these do relate to the GAO's annual high-risk list or biannual high-risk list too, don't they? They do. We make sure that in all of the letters that we send to agencies that we note any high-risk area that's directly connected to that agency. So I just mentioned the six business reform topics for DOD. We, We call that out in the letter. But being on the high-risk list is one of the criteria we use for choosing which recommendations to highlight. I mentioned earlier that we had identified a number of IT issues across all the agencies that we reviewed. There are two other high-risk issues that we talked about fairly frequently in these letters. One is strategic human capital management, in other words, the need for agencies to identify skill gaps and have appropriate succession planning and hiring plans. And the second is the managing of their own real property, so the facilities and the property that they own, and to make sure that that is handled efficiently and disposed of when no longer necessary. 
All right. In the time we have left, I just want to do a quick lightning round of a couple of different agencies because I know you had recommendations across the board. Small Business Administration under a lot of stress right now topically because of the CARES Act. Yes. So we are doing a lot of work at SBA. In fact, we have to report on the CARES Act on June 25th. We're required in that law to report within 90 days of the passage of the CARES Act. And I expect that our work at SBA will be a a significant part of that. So I might mention in that regard um, our priority recommendations that are related to SBA disaster response. SBA is regularly called in to provide loans and other assistance when a disaster occurs. We think that there are a number of action plans and standard templates that if SBA implemented them would help them to work more quickly. All right. And let's go quickly to Social Security Administration. So at Social Security, we focus part of our letter on the theme of reducing overpayment of benefits. For example, finding better ways to prevent people receiving benefits for disability from concurrently receiving federal workers' compensation. And just a quick one on that one on SSA. They get dinged every year, I guess, because it's comical sounding of sending benefits to those that are deceased. But in the grand scheme of things, it's actually a tiny amount of what they do send out, isn't it? Yes, it is. But they do maintain an overall list called with the terrible name of the death master file and continue to work on their own processes and with other agencies to make sure that benefits are not going to people that are deceased. Okay. And the last one, NASA. NASA. Okay. Well, the International Space Station has been in the news recently, I should say, in part because the first crewed test flight from the United States by SpaceX is slated for later this month. Uh, As you know, the United States has relied on Russia for continued access to the space station. NASA's access could end in October 2020 if it is not able to either finalize the purchase of an additional site from Russia or begin our own regular flight crews to station from here in the United States. NASA has not had a contingency plan in place in case the ongoing flight tests do not go as planned, and we think they should. Sounds like a lot. Any reaction yet from any of the agency heads that these have gone out to so far? We typically get letters back from about half of them thanking us for the letter and outlining what they plan to do in response. Something I would note is that right at the beginning of January 2019, the president signed a new bill past the end of December of 2018. It's called the GAOIG Act. Uh, What that did was it required federal agencies to identify any open GAO and IG recommendations in their budget submissions and say what they are doing to respond to them. We think this will also be a great tool for understanding how agencies are responding to our recommendations. And, Tom, let me go back and get the name of that bill right. It's the Good Accounting Obligation in Government Act, or the GAO-IG Act, and this year in 2020 we are seeing uh, the first time that agencies are providing that information. Kate Sigurud is Chief Operating Officer of the Government Accountability Office. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Everything's getting more expensive these days. Gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash best music to get Live One Plus now. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.